You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, it was around this time of year, my family, we lived in Cooperpedia at the time. We went on a holiday, as we did annually, down to the south, down to Adelaide. And on this one occasion, we were visiting some family friends. We'd never been to their house before. Uh, They had kids, and so us kids were all playing around, doing what kids are doing while the parents are doing their boring thing, whatever parents do when the kids are playing. And uh, we explored the house and we explored the front yard and we were country kids and the gate was open so we decided to explore further afield as well. We headed it out and eventually uh, we were called back home by our stomachs uh, because we needed food. And it was about an hour before anyone realised that my brother was not with us. And once they discovered that my brother wasn't with us, uh, there was the wild search around the house and then around all the yard and then the confession that we'd been beyond the yard and then there was the wild search. It felt like three hours of searching. It was the first time I had ever seen my mother crying. She was so anxious, so worried about this, this little country boy lost in the big city. Uh, eventually he was found just before the dark set in. He had uh, very sensibly, he'd got lost, he didn't know his way back to the house. He'd very sensibly gone and sat at a bus stop. Uh, so there was rejoicing and uh, he came home. It's one of those family stories, isn't it? Every family has a story uh, kind, of, kind of like that. That gets told and retold and perhaps embellished a little. Or, uh, but there's a story that goes as uh, a family. And, uh, you know, if you've got any number of children, you've probably got a, a story much like Mary and Joseph's as well. Uh, you get to a certain number of children and it becomes impossible to keep track of them and you leave one of them at a restaurant or a playground or something like that. Um, I'm not trying to justify myself here, but uh, it's, it's never happened to us by the grace of God. I don't know. I've got five kids, um, and by luck or probably my wife's good stewardship, uh, we have never left any of them a- anywhere. But it's one of those family stories. And the story today is also one of those family stories. And we know... It's a family story. We'll go back. We know it's a family story because it's likely that Mary told the story. At the beginning of Luke's Gospel, it says that he's gone and he's spoken to the eyewitnesses, he's investigated carefully. And the reason why I'm I'm almost certain that this is Mary telling the story is because particularly in chapters 1 and chapters 2 of Luke, There's a whole lot of information there that Luke could not have known in any other way. Uh, Especially in chapter 2, there are two occasions where it actually tells us what Mary thought. So uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 19, the shepherds have come, they've told them about how the angels appeared and sent them to the stable and the manger. And Mary, it says, Mary treasured these words and pondered them in her heart. She's the only one who can know that. 
Uh, And in our own reading, Luke chapter 25, uh, uh, after this story of uh, Jesus at the age of 12, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. This is a family story. It's been told by Mary. And in fact, it's the only story in any of the Gospels that we have of Jesus as a a boy uh, from Jesus' childhood. Mary's told the story. And like so many family stories, it begins in a in the usual way. The, it begins with the, the story of the family heading off on holidays. Now, each year, uh, I don't know whether you've been on your annual holiday just recently, uh, often people go back to the same place each year. It's just a really relaxing way of doing it. And perhaps you go with other families uh, so that the kids can play. Well, that's the kind of thing that was happening here. Every year, Jesus' family, uh, Mary and Joseph and the kids, and, but also other people from Nazareth, friends and relatives, they all go for a trip to Jerusalem. Now, it's quite a long trip. It's 140 kilometres, and so it's about a five-day walk. And they're all together, going together. So, you know, the celebration, the holiday almost begins straight away with the, with the travelling and the kids mucking around, the parents walking along. And they eventually get to Jerusalem and it's Passover. Seven days of festival and fun. And uh, so... This is Jerusalem at Passover a few years ago, uh, before the pandemic... And it's that feeling, a whole city in festival, fun and music, food and uh, colour. And the place is absolutely heaving. And of course, uh, it's not just a festival in the secular sense. It's, it's also infused with all these uh, meals that have religious significance, worship in the temple, a remembrance of what God has done in saving his people Israel from slavery in the land of Egypt. And so it's just a time of, of joy. Seven days. Well, you get to the end of the seven days, everyone's a little bit tired and you've got a five-day walk ahead of you. Mary and Joseph are gathering up all the kids. We know from the Gospels, from both Luke, but also the other Gospels as well, that Jesus had at least four brothers, they're named, uh, and had at least two sisters because uh, they're referred to in the plural. So there's at least two sisters. So let's say it's a family of seven kids with all under 12. And you can imagine in that kind of circumstance, even if you've got a couple of kids uh, gathering them up and the chaos of, of that, and the eldest, well, he can fend for himself. He's 12. He can, he can look after himself. The, the group will get together. You're assuming he's mucking around with you know, the Jacobson kids or whatever it is. And they set off and head a whole day's walk back towards Nazareth. And it's only when they sit down for dinner, that Mary and Joseph suddenly go, where's, where's Jesus? And you can imagine, you wouldn't be too worried to start with. You think, yeah, oh, it's a big group of people. He's, he's here somewhere. Go and check with Aunt Rebecca. See, see if he's, he's with her. No, no, he's not. Oh, well, he's, he's probably with the Jacobson kids. They're always running off. Uh, no, no. He's not. And as they go around the group, they suddenly discover that no one has seen Jesus all day. Can you imagine how you would feel 
as a parent. This is like me going on holidays to Adelaide and then coming back all the way to Melbourne, a day's travel, and suddenly realising I left one of my kids in Adelaide. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? You'd be so worried. And it's not like you, you left them with their grandparents. He's, he's just walking around Adelaide. Oh. You would be so anxious, wouldn't you? And so Mary and Joseph, uh, they, they, they leave the kids with Aunt Rebecca because we're not travelling a whole that way with all those kids. We need to find Jesus. Leave the kids with Aunt Rebecca. They travel a whole, way, all, whole day back to Jerusalem and even then it's not over. They spend another whole day. It's a big city looking for Jesus. They're looking in all the places. So uh, where, where would you find a 12-year-old boy? Well, we'll check the sweet shop. We'll check that alleyway that all the kids were playing in so often during those seven days. Maybe we should check the, the walls. 12-year-old boys always love battlements. Uh, so we'll check, check the walls of Jerusalem and he's, he's nowhere. You know when you look for your, your keys and you've looked on all the normal places and they're not there and so suddenly you find yourself looking in weird places. Like you go up to the fridge and you're looking in and part of your brain's going, why are you looking in the fridge? Like, why would you put the keys in the fridge? It's not going to be in the fridge. Uh, but you're looking anyway because it's not in all the normal places. Well, they've looked in all the normal places and they're going, 12-year-old boy, could he, be in the, could he be in the temple? And so they go and see. And they find him there. After three days... They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus is 12, but he's got a hunger to know God. He's, got, he's 12 and he longs to be in God's house. He longs to know more of God. He, he's, he's seeking it out. Like I said to the kids... You don't have to be an adult to have a real relationship with God. Kids have a real relationship with God now. It may look a little bit different to an adult understanding of it, but their relationship with God is real, it's deep, it's true. You, you, faith isn't just for adults. So in a couple of weeks' time, when we send the kids out to the kids' program, we're not doing that so we can babysit them while you learn things. We're doing that because we want them to know God and love him and be taught in a way that they can hear and understand rather than a guy standing up the front just blah. So that they can know God. Sometimes I've heard people say, uh, kids are the future of the church. And I know what they mean by that and you know, I, I get it, but... Actually, the kids are the present of the church as well. They are full participants. They're part of the community. They know and love God. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you are here and you're 12 or under today, you can know God. Uh, last week, we looked at an 84-year-old who was praising God and learning more about him and active in ministry. It doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're little, whether you're big, 
you can have that deep relationship with God. Well, Jesus is there and he's sitting among the teachers. He's listening to them and asking them questions. And they're amazed at his wisdom. But I, in some ways, when we hear that the scribes and the Pharisees, they're amazed at his wisdom, we kind of think, well, duh. He's like God incarnate. Of course he's going to be wise. Of course he's going to be able to teach you. I wonder whether you've noticed, though, the more, the more amazing thing for us, perhaps, is that he listened and he learned. Jesus had to learn. Sometimes, and this is really important in, in your understanding of God, sometimes I think we separate two things. God, Jesus is fully God and he is fully human. And it's very easy for us to kind of at different stages lean into one or the other and not hold them both together at the same time. So Jesus is fully God and fully human. Sometimes we think on the human bit and forget that he has the fullness of deity, uh, that he's the image of the invisible God. Uh, Sometimes... Uh, and I wonder whether we do this perhaps more often, we have this view that it's kind of God with a human skin. That it's, he's, he's God and he's walking around like a human, but it, it kind of look, just looks like a human. No, he, he has to be fully God and fully human. If he's not fully human, if he doesn't have the limitations of humanity, if he isn't just like you and me then at that Passover 21 years later, he cannot die for you because he cannot represent you. He cannot be the human taking the judgment of God without being fully human. And certainly this story tells us he's fully human. He's 12. He has to grow in knowledge. He's not, he, he's not pu- pulling on an um, omniscience that he has in his Godhead. He has to grow in knowledge. Fully God, fully human. Got to keep those two together. Uh, otherwise, actually, Christianity falls. It, it doesn't work. Um, so there he is, fully God, fully human, but he's learning, and the teachers of the law are amazed. He's listening to them. He's asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And uh, one of the things I do wonder here is, who was there? It's 18 years before Jesus' public ministry begins. And you've got to wonder, who, was, who are the people there? So after the, after the Passover, all of the theological heavies would get together, of course, for the Passover. You know, Dr. Gamaliel and... Uh, you know, PhD uh, Jacob, they're all together in Jerusalem and they, they hang out afterwards and they're debating in the temple. And so it's kind of the who-who's of the theological world. And believe it or not, there is a who-who of the theological world, even today. But who was there? What was it that the famous teacher Gamaliel, uh, under whom Paul learnt? Was, was Nicodemus there? Nicodemus, who would, was a Pharisee, who ended up following Jesus. Or was it, 
the high priest who was going to be the high priest uh, 21 years later who would listen to Jesus and be outraged and call for his crucifixion, were they there? I don't know. It's, it's speculation. But certainly on this day, rather than being angry and, and turfing him out of the temple, they heard him. They were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Well, that's all very good. He's having a wonderful theological time. But mum and dad are, meanwhile, looking frantically for their child. They're looking everywhere. They eventually come. They eventually find him. And you know, like on all these times, if you've lost your child and they've been somewhere, you finally find them and you don't know whether to hug them or box their ears. Like it's, you're not sure which to do. Well, I think by the sound of it, Mary's kind of in that place. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I, we've been searching for you with great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Well, I wonder if Mary didn't know whether to hug him or box his ears before he said that, whether she'd made a decision by the end of that sentence. Because it sounds like Jesus is giving them cheek. It sounds like he's kind of being a bit rude to his parents. Now, it's impossible that Jesus was. And I'll give you three reasons why. So, the first reason is that... The story itself emphasises Jesus' obedience to his parents. So a couple of more verses on, it emphasises his great obedience to his parents. Secondly, Mary treasured this memory. And there might be a whole lot of things you do with the memory of your child going AWOL and then giving you a whole lot of cheek, but I don't think it's treasuring. Uh, You're not going to be treasuring that, that memory. But thirdly, and most importantly, the rest of the New Testament tells us that Jesus was sinless. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, Jesus was without sin. And that's of immense importance because if he's not without sin, he can't be the the spotless Passover lamb who would die for the people. He has to be perfect, otherwise he can't be a substitute. Jesus is sinless. He is perfect in all that he does. And so if Jesus is giving Mary and Joseph cheek here, he can't forgive you. You can't be forgiven because he couldn't have died for you. So that's one reading of the story that we can't actually take. And whenever we're reading the Bible, it's really important that we're looking at the whole Bible and letting the Bible interpret the Bible. Uh, because that helps us understand the things that it can't mean or helps us understand more deeply the things that it does mean. So what's going on here? I've wrestled with this all week and I think I've, I've come towards an answer and it's, it's kind of in this direction. I think it works in two, on two levels. Uh, 
what does Jesus say? That's going to be the key to understanding this. What does Jesus say? He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? All right, let's have a think, a little bit of a think about this. Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, on the first level, I think it kind of works on the level we first understand it. That is, I'm in my father's house. I, I've never left the side of my father. In fact, I've, I, I've been home all along. Why, why were you looking for me? I'm with my father, my heavenly father. I've always been home. There's something of that in it, but underneath that, on a, on a, oh, I think maybe a, a deeper level, he's, he's saying, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Uh, that I must there. It is necessary that I should be in my father's house. Uh, another translation of it is, did you not know that I must be about my father's work, about my father's business? There is a divine necessity to what he is doing. There's only one time in the Bible where it actually says that you are able to disobey your parents. And that is when your parents tell you to do something that God has forbidden or God has told you to do something else. And... Uh, I think this is what Jesus is saying. There's God has said to me, and I think by what he's saying, Mary and Joseph should have known this or understood it in some fashion. He's saying, God's told me to be here. This is the work of God that I'm meant to be doing. And I don't know what he's doing there. I suspect it has something to do with the Passover that's going to happen in 21 years' time. And maybe the other people who are there, maybe uh, he's planting the seed of faith in Nicodemus's heart that's going to bear fruit and be important when it comes to that Passover. Um, maybe uh, it's that first meeting with Jesus with the scribes and Pharisees who are going to end up calling for his crucifixion and this was an important part of that. I don't really know. I don't know. This is, this is speculation, but I, I'm pretty sure it's got something to do with that Passover 21 years later. Because it's interesting, isn't it? Why was this story included? Of all the stories of Jesus as a boy... Why was this one included and no other? Only this one. On one level, it might have been that uh, Luke said, you know, give me a little bit of background for Jesus. And it was a really memorable occasion. And parents always like to brag about how their children are so smart. And there was that time Jesus was teaching the scribes and Pharisees. You know, if, you wanna, if you've got an hour or two to kill, just ask a parent, how's your kids going at school? Uh, I don't think that's what Mary's doing, though. That's not what Mary's doing, because she's come to treasure this in her heart, and it's an event, I think, that has come to have a deeper significance for her, and it's included in the Gospel of Luke for the same reason that everything in the Gospel of Luke is included, because it points to that 
key moment in the life and history of God's saving work to the Passover 21 years later where Jesus dies and rises again. Because I wonder if Mary looked back on that time and suddenly saw it in a new light, suddenly saw uh, another occasion when Jesus was missing, wasn't with his friends and family, had gone away and it had anguished her heart. Whether she looked at the 12-year-old Jesus story and remembered another time when Jesus wasn't where he was expected to be on that third day. Whether she looked back and remembered another time when she'd found him alive and well and about his father's business. That weekend when Jesus died on the cross and rose again to new life. And the wisdom of Christ overcame the wisdom of all the debaters and all the scribes of his age. This is 1 Corinthians, uh, one, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation, even through the words of a 12-year-old, to save those who believed. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is foolish in the eyes of the world, but it is the wisdom of God. It's where Christ's wisdom triumphed ultimately over the foolishness of the world. And gave us life and hope. Then Jesus went down with them. And he came to Nazareth and he was obedient to them. And his mother mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favour. And the next we hear of him is 18 years later. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to grow to be more and more like Jesus, to long for your word, to love you, to seek you. Heavenly Father, we do pray. Uh, that as we come to your house, we might hear you teaching and leading us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that in all of these things we may see your grace, your obedience to your parents, that we might look to that day uh, when uh, you triumphed by your wisdom, Uh, not as a 12-year-old, but as a 33-year-old, when you died for us, you rose again. We thank you uh, that we can know you and love you. And we thank you that we can do that whether we're 12 
whether we're young, whether we're old, whether we're somewhere in between. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.